Hi there. Welcome back to Bush History. I'm David Bush, and this is my ongoing series on precedent-setting Supreme Court decisions. You can get additional information at www.bushhistory.net. That's B-U-S-C-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y dot net. And there's a whole bunch of information there on American history and a variety of topics. Today's topic is going to be Dred Scott versus Sanford in 1857. There's a lot of information for this case, so I'm going to start out by giving you the outcome, and then I'll fill in the details. Ultimately, in 1857... Supreme Court rules that Dred Scott is a slave, and as such, he has no right to sue in a court of the United States. So the Supreme Court actually avoids deciding whether Dred Scott should be freed or not. So now, let's talk a little bit about Dred Scott's background. It certainly is an interesting one. To begin with, he was born a slave in 1795 in Virginia. He was owned by a man named Peter Blow. In 1830, Blow gave up farming and settled in St. Louis, where he sold Dred Scott to Dr. John Emerson, who was an army surgeon. Emerson took Scott to Illinois, which was a free state. Illinois had been free as a territory under the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 and had prohibited slavery in the writing of its own constitution in 1819 when it was admitted as a state. In 1836, Emerson moved with Scott from Illinois to the Wisconsin Territory, and we now know that as Minnesota specifically. The Wisconsin Territory was free. Slavery had been prohibited as a result of the Missouri Compromise in 1820. The Missouri Compromise stated that slavery could not exist north of Missouri's southern border. There, Scott married Harriet Robinson, and they had an actual wedding ceremony, which was overseen or officiated, if you like, by Harriet's owner. That would not have been possible if Scott had been a slave. He was able to enter into this legal contract of matrimony, and that was something that was only afforded to free people. In 1837, Emerson leased Scott and his wife out for profit. It wasn't uh, unusual to hire out slaves. By hiring Scott out in a free state, Emerson was effectively bringing the institution of slavery into a free state, which was a direct violation of the Missouri Compromise and Northwest Ordinance. Before the end of the year, the Army reassigned Emerson to Louisiana, where Emerson married Eliza Irene Sanford. And we're going to call her Irene Sanford from this point, because most people did. In 1838, Emerson sent for Scott and his wife, who proceeded on to Louisiana. While en route, Scott had a daughter. Her name was Eliza, and she was actually born on a steamboat on the Mississippi River between Illinois and what would become Iowa, which was free territory. And because she was born in free territory, she was technically born as a free person under both federal and state laws. When they got to Louisiana, the Scots could have sued for their freedom, but they chose not to. Now, Emerson died in 1843, and his wife inherited Scott and she continued to hire Scott out. In 1846, Scott had finally had enough, and he attempted to purchase his family's freedom, but Irene Emerson refused, prompting Scott to resort to legal recourse, and so begins the long road to Dred Scott versus Sanford. Now, Scott was well-traveled and well-trusted, and he had many friends and acquaintances, and some of them were abolitionists, so he got legal advice and help from these abolitionists. Scott received financial assistance for his case from the family of his previous owner, Peter Blow. Blow's daughter, Charlotte, 
was married to Joseph Charles, an officer of the Bank of Missouri. Charles signed the legal documents as security for Dred Scott and secured the services of the bank's attorney, Samuel Mansfield Bay, for the trial. So Scott's got some, stan- some substantial background here. As we can see, by the date of the original action, the case took 11 years to resolve. During that time, there were several lawyer changes and Dred Scott was transferred to Irene Emerson's brother, John Sanford, because ironically, Mrs. Emerson had moved to free territory in Massachusetts. During the length of the trial, Scott continued to be leased out as labor and the money was going to be put into an escrow account. That money would be available to Scott should he become free or to Scott's master if he loses in court. The case meandered through the courts, and eventually Missouri ruled that Scott was a slave and could not bring suit. So now we end up in the Supreme Court, and because John Sanford was now Scott's owner of record, the case becomes known as Dred Scott versus Sanford. Now, the court has a tough dilemma here. The 1850s is known as the decade of crisis and certainly would end with the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860, the secession of the South, and off we are to the Civil War. And the Supreme Court is well aware of that. Freeing Scott would have had a ripple impact. How many states existed where people brought slaves in from slave states and then brought them into free states? How many times had that occurred? And if Dred Scott was to be freed, how many thousands of slaves would also end up being freed. We may have had the Civil War three years early. So James Buchanan was elected in 1856. He was a Democrat from Pennsylvania. And there is evidence that he attempted to sway the court. There are actually letters that he wrote to the court. He wrote to the court and asked that a decision be announced before his inauguration in March of 1857 so the matter would be settled and he would not have it occur under his watch. It would be settled before he comes in, and he could just pick up the pieces. Buchanan also pressured Associate Justice Greer, a northerner, to join the Southern majority to prevent the appearance that the decision was made along sectional lines. Buchanan applying this political pressure is is really off, off the pale, but he did nevertheless. And Republicans fueled the speculation about Buchanan's influence by publicizing that Chief Justice Taney had actually told Buchanan of the decision before the inauguration. So here's the outcome. First, the court ruled that Scott was not a citizen and therefore could not sue for his freedom. Also, it seemed like everyone wanted to distance themselves, and Taney provided a lengthy opinion. It was hundreds of pages, citing constitutional law and British law and case law to support this 7-2 decision by the court. And what happens with Dred Scott? Well, he's going to be transferred back to the son of his original owner, Taylor Blow. And Taylor Blow was going to free Scott. Now, It's happy and it's sad. I mean, Scott ultimately gets his freedom. However, he dies about 18 months later in November of 1858. He was survived for quite a few years by Harriet, and she died in 1876. So that's the Dred Scott case in a long nutshell. So one more time, the Supreme Court essentially kicks the case down the road. They choose not to decide about whether Dred Scott should be freed or not, and their decision is a procedural one, stating that Dred Scott, not being a citizen, could not bring suit. And three years later, we're on the doorsteps of the Civil War. So for now, I'm David Bush, and uh, have a good day.